This is Eyewitness News up close. So imagine this, no more garbage from New York City that gets to landfills, a pipe dream for many people, but now a concrete goal by the Sanitation Commissioner of New York City. So how in the world would you be able to recycle all that trash that's generated by the biggest city in the country? Commissioner Catherine Garcia is here to explain how. But first, have you smelled all the marijuana smoke in the streets of New York City? It's hard not to. And you should probably get used to it. This morning, the debate over no longer arresting or issuing citations for small amounts of marijuana. The issue catapulted to the front burner recently after a new report shows that nearly nine out of 10 arrests for marijuana in New York City, the people who are arrested are either black or Hispanic. One of those appalled by this and pushing for change, New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Up Close. I'm Bill Ritter. The NYPD just last week started a 30-day review of how it makes arrests for marijuana smoking. Last week, the Reverend Al Sharpton and Council Speaker Corey Johnson calling for an end to arrests and decriminalizing marijuana. Mr. Johnson joins us this morning. Mr. Speaker, welcome. Good morning. Glad to have you back. The last time you were here, you were on the job for, you know, basically uh, a breakfast or something. And you, <laughs> yes. You had not been there very long and you were looking forward and now you can look past and it's been four or five months. How do you feel? Uh, I love it. I am. Uh, I was just telling you a few minutes ago, I'm exhausted and overwhelmed. But when you love what you do, when you get to be of service to the city that you love so much, even if you're a little tired here and there, there's no complaining and there's so much to get done in the city. I'm here for a limited amount of time. So I am grateful and excited and happy to be in this great position. Uh, you don't lack for energy, that's to be sure. Uh, your critics or supporters would both agree on that. Uh, let's talk about this marijuana situation. Um, the, the study about the clear, clearly discriminatory nature of the arrest is one thing. Uh, are we moving towards legalizing marijuana in New York? Well, I support legalization, and the reason why is I believe that the racial disparities and the war on drugs has been a total failure, and there has been too much of a human toll that has taken place uh, in us policing marijuana. I believe that we should uh, legalize it, tax it, regulate it, take the revenue that we would get from that, put it towards drug treatment programs, put it towards education programs, and actually deal with it in a rational way. Right now, our policy on marijuana is irrational, insane, and unfair, and we need to actually have a policy that makes sense and is not discriminatory towards predominantly young men of color in New York City. Are you worried, though, the flip side of that, because uh, I, I think people understand the argument you just made, but the flip side of that is, much like alcohol, you don't want people drunk all the time. Do you don't want you don't want a, a city of stoners, especially this city, which depends so much on people with energy going forward, lots of ambition, and working, you know, dawn till dusk. Yeah, and this isn't us saying that we want everyone out there smoking pot all the time. You and I, I think spoke about this before. Uh, this July 13th, I'll be sober nine years and it's my biggest accomplishment. I have a clear head because I, uh, I don't engage in that type of stuff, but we know that it does exist and that people do it. And because it exists and because people do, we have to handle it in a fair and rational way. The way we handle it right now is unfair. And so there are regulations we can put in place. There are things we can come up with that handles this, uh, but this is not the right way to move forward and how we're handling it. We have too many young people of color being caught up in the criminal justice system, having their lives ruined in many ways because they get arrested for smoking pot. It doesn't make any sense. Well, that's one issue. 
That, and that's an important issue. But that can be held, handled by the police not making so many arrests. Yes. Legalizing it to cause a big revenue stream is quite a different issue. You have many states now in this country that are either done that or moving towards that. Mm -hmm. uh, and the money they're getting from that, that's hard for an elected official like yourself who has to deal with a budget and criticizes the budget and worries about the budget shrinking eventually or revenue shrinking. This is a new revenue stream, much like the gambling is a new revenue stream in New Jersey. Well, we allow things all the time that people morally may not like, uh, but we come up with a reason to actually regulate it and put a framework in place that we think handles it in the best way. I think marijuana, we haven't done that for whatever reason. We've continued to criminalize it. Uh, we're not going back to prohibition, even though we know that alcohol is a very destructive thing in many ways in our society. You have people drunk driving, you have uh, teenage drinking, you have all sorts of things that happen because of the overconsumption of alcohol, but we try to come up with rational, fair ways to handle it through taxation, through policies, through penalties. We do that. We should come up with a similar scheme as we think about marijuana. And it is a revenue stream that the city could very well use as we go forward because of a lot of factors. Let's start with one of them. You're calling for uh, these fair fares, meaning Metro cards for lower income people that are half the price. How do we fund that and what is your proposal exactly? Well, the proposal that's before the city council and the council supports is a proposal that would say if you are an individual who's living in poverty, below the federal poverty line, making under $12,000 a year, or a family of four making under $25,000 a year, that you should get a half-priced Metro card to be able to be a full citizen. How many of us, Bill, walk into the subway in the morning or at night and see someone begging for a swipe? Can you swipe me in? Can you swipe me and in? And you usually do that. Yes, of, of course. course. And there are 800,000 people who would qualify for this program. When the mayor ran for mayor in 2013, one of the mantras in his campaign was, we live in a tale of two cities. Well, if you cannot get on the subway, I don't know what city you're in. You're in either one of the cities because you can't be a full citizen. This would save low-income people, poor people, people living in poverty, about $750 a year and help them be a full citizen by having access to the subways when they work. That's a bigger question of actually fixing the subways. But we think the mayor has said he wants New York to be the fairest big scene in America. A way to do that is to fully fund fair fares. The cost would be about $212 million. And in our budget right now, we have the money to do it. Except that you also are looking for money, the city is, and the state, to fix the subway which will cost hundreds of millions of dollars as well. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to raise something later to pay for that if we take more money to, to give low-income people that discount. That's a reality. Well, I don't I'm know. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's a reality. I mean, I'm not sure because if you look at the city's budget, in 2014 when the mayor came into office and I was a newly elected council member, our budget was about $73 billion. And now it's $89 billion in this 89, year. $89. $16 billion increase in four years. Now, some of the money that's come in in the last few months is sort of a one-time bump of money because of the tax bill that went through $600 million. It's a one-time bump in personal income taxes. We're in the longest economic expansion the city has seen in decades. The city is humming along and doing well. So we're not just calling for this new program to help poor people. We're also saying put $500 million aside in reserves for when the downturn comes, and we're asking for the city to come up with a real savings program agency by agency, we believe that you can actually fully fund fair fares, put $500 million aside in reserves, 
have a property tax rebate, look at a citywide savings plan, and it's a fair, prudent, responsible way to handle our budget. A $89 billion budget to put a half a, million, half a billion dollars in reserves is a small, little pimple. I agree. On a big elephant. I agree. Uh, so it's not a lot of money. And, and a lot of economists are worried, despite the big expansion, that this Trump tax plan mm -hmm. is going to hurt New York mm -hmm. because people are going to be paying more taxes, yep. la the lack of deductions for real estate and, and, and income taxes locally, uh, and real estate values could very well drop. They've already started to drop. That's right. I mean, the biggest effect that we see in New York City and in the whole metropolitan region is the cap on state and local taxes, which really has to do with property taxes. You used to be able to deduct in an unlimited way. Now you can only deduct up to $10,000. About 35% of New Yorkers actually participated in what was called the SALT provision, right. that provision I just talked about. We don't know the long-term effect yet. The reason why we saw that bump in personal income tax of $600 million in unincorporated corporate taxes, there was another bump that came in on that, is because people prepaid their taxes before January 1st. Because they wanted to take advantage of the higher taxes. Exactly. Of course. So we don't know what the long-term effect is. What economists are saying is they believe we not we may not fully realize the effects until 2021 2022 and we have to plan for that which is why if we're getting a temporary bump of 600 million dollars put 500 million dollars of that in reserve for when that rainy day eventually comes let me talk uh, briefly about uh, some state issues and personalities uh, Cynthia Nixon and Andrew, Andrew Cuomo where are you standing on that? Have you made an endorsement? I haven't made an endorsement yet. Uh, Cynthia is someone who I know uh, and I think is a good person. Uh, the governor is someone who I work with very regularly and I admire his record on having marriage equality be something he got done right away, raising the minimum wage to $15, having an expansive paid and family leave policy, banning uh, fracking upstate. There's been a lot of really good things he's done. I am focused on the city's budget right now. We have to adopt it sometime in June, and I've been spending almost every day working with my colleagues on that. Do you think she's moved him to the left? I think he's moved to the left. I don't know if it's because of her, but he's clearly moved to the left on some of these issues. But I would also say that all the things I just named are things he did before she ever announced she was running and before it was an election year. So I think he has a progressive record to actually run on. There are other things that I want to see get done in Albany that haven't been achieved. Ethics reform, campaign finance reform, strengthening the rent laws. There's a lot of other really important things that we need to get done through the legislature. Finally, Mr. Speaker, because three years in politics is a long time, but three years in life doesn't go, it goes very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Talk about you running for mayor in the next election. Are people saying that? Well, some people are mentioning it. I am so. Are people saying that? <laughs> no, I've been here for for four and a half months. Um, I am really grateful to do this job. You never shut off any possibilities. I'm not going to be Shermanesque and sit here today and say uh, some crazy evasive statement. But I'll tell you that I'm very, very busy. I love the job. We are nowhere near 2021, and I actually have to get stuff done. Okay. Uh, that's the most important thing. Well, you'll be Hamiltonesque and say there's so much you still have to do. So. I'll say Hamiltonesque. Immigrants, they get the job. Done. There you go, Corey Johnson. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Bill, as always. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to switch topics, but stay in New York City. Imagine no more trash filling up landfills. Now, an aggressive new recycling campaign that would stop sending New York City's trash to those landfills. Can it really be done? Sanitation Commissioner Catherine Garcia joins us. She's next. Welcome back to Up Close. First, there was the campaign to recycle food. Now, how about recycling everything? 
That's the ambitious new effort in New York City. And one thing's for sure, this is not your father's sanitation department. It is, however, Catherine Garcia's, and the Sanitation Commissioner joins us now. Thank you for being here again. Thank you for having me. So this is, uh, I would say ambitious is to put it mildly, what yeah. you try to do. Yeah. No, no landfill trash by the year 2030. Yeah. How is that going to happen? We have a little bit of time, thank <laughs> goodness. Uh, time flies. Time flies, but I, and I don't want anyone to not feel a sense of urgency. But we've really been focused on a couple of areas. Obviously, the composting program, which I know you participate in. I was one of the first, the, were, the one of the first 100,000 people to try it. You yes. were. Um, we are now at 3.5 million New Yorkers served by the program and growing all the time. Uh, so we're excited about that. By far the largest program in the United States. And beyond that, our metal, glass, plastic, and paper program is continuing to grow. And then we're looking at other programs that are a little bit more niche, sort of the refashion program where we now serve 158,000 households where you can donate into a bin in your building, uh, get a donation form, and it'll go to housing work so it can become somebody else's treasure. Right, this is not, when I said this is not your father's sanitation department, obviously take off on the old ad, but I, I really meant that because you have reframed what the definition of the sanitation, sanitation department is. It is not just about picking up the garbage on Wednesdays and Fridays, whatever, and picking up snow. Right, no, we really want to think of ourselves as a sustainability organization. We want to make sure that we're leaving the earth a better place than we're finding it, and we know we can have a big role. Obviously, we need the public, we need the business sector, everyone needs to play a role, but we know that we can be at the forefront. Do you change the name? Is it no longer the sanitation department? Oh, is it no, no, no. Sustainability I would, department? I would never do that. Now, you know, our history is very important to all of right. us. Uh, but it's beyond just picking up the garbage. It is beyond. It is also really thinking about creative partnerships we can have with other aspects of uh, the city, such as the fashion industry or the design industry. Restaurants. Uh, restaurants. Yes, I know you're big on that. Yes. You know, we are, we've really been engaging with some of the top chefs in the city about how they can think about reducing the amount they waste or making sure that it gets given to a good use after they're done with right. it. Right. One, one story we did recently well, with you on it last year, where, where we had people who were recycling their food into food that people can eat. Yes. Yeah. And so they can buy. They, they can sell it at the restaurant. Or beer. <laughs> there was some uh, bread, apparently, right. in, in uh, high-end New York City restaurants. Is a, there's a lot of it at the end of the day. So <laughs> it, it can be made into something like beer. So what kind of resistance do you get? What kind of cooperation do you get as you sort of forge this reframing, redefinition of the sanitation department? Uh, so, I mean, I really find that, like, New Yorkers often go, wow, that can never work. Uh, and then as you get them involved in it, they're sort of shocked to find out they that all work. of their decisions that they're making actually can, they're like, I have no more garbage. I don't have any left. I'm using a reusable bag. I use a reusable water bottle. I'm recycling everything that I receive. There's nothing in, there's nothing in my regular bag anymore. And once you get on that river and go with that tidal flow, it becomes easier. It becomes easier and it's like you can't go back. Uh, it's sort of horrifying to think of throwing away like t-shirts that could go to Goodwill or the Salvation Army and end up being used again. So is it a reasonable goal? Is it, is it realistic to say, you know, we have a, the mayor has a vision zero for, for pedestrian mm -hmm. deaths and traffic deaths. You have a, a vision zero, so to speak, for garbage. I, I think that it is achievable. It will require uh, additional commitment constantly. Uh, everything about waste is you wake up and it happens every day. Uh, so you need to make sure you're making decisions every day. Uh, but it is achievable, and I think that there are lots of opportunities going forward. We have this uh, in, here at Disney, in Channel 7 and ABC, we have these new reminders, a whole division basically saying, here's, we have a new recycling 
program. And there are about eight different kinds of bins that we have. Uh, and if you have the wrong thing by your little wastebasket, by your desk, if you put you know, hamburger wrappings in there or some sort of bagel wrappings in there, you will get this little notice like I did. We were unable to empty your disc bin due to contaminated or non-paper materials present in your bin. Yes, I got this. You got a little slap on Someone the Someone wrote final notice, but it, it's not the last <laughs> notice. But it, yes, and that's what's happening in our newsroom right now and in our buildings. Right. I mean, we've worked really hard with the commercial sector to try and bring them up to speed. There was not a lot of recycling happening in the commercial sector. And so we tried to make it easier and match the residential rules and then really also enforce. So we started enforcing back in August. And so you will fine us. That's what I understand, right? We there will, will be fine. a fine for uh, Channel 7 and ABC News. There will be a fine if we don't do this right. That is correct. And so that, that's why we're getting final notices and we're getting cracked down because money talks. That's money, why. Money talks. And also I think that the, your corporate uh, parents do also want to have sustainability as part of their goals. There's no question. That's important to them as well. So have we crossed the Rubicon? Have we, we cannot go back to the We way cannot it was, go right? back. Uh, I, I really think that trying to put things into a landfill in the future, it's just not the right way to go. Right, so you have to have this lofty goal. You, want, you say you want to get to it, but if you get close to it, it's also good. It, we have to change the way we live. We have to change the way we live. All right. well, you're, the sanitation commissioners in the past did not, as good as they were about snow removal and garbage pickup, this is not something that was in their lexicon. This, this is something that I think that you know, we are really stepping up, and it's a new day. I, mean, I don't think climate change was in the lexicon. 15 years ago, right. uh, and, now now. and now everybody understands that it impacts New York City. Speaking, I suppose, a little bit about that, let's talk about the climate this past winter. Um, you came out this last week with the snow removal costs, which was uh, way above budget, $107 million 40 for 40 inches of snow. You had set aside $84 million, so you were over budget by, you know, it's a significant amount of money there, 16 plus 7, 23 mm -hmm. million dollars. Next year you'd ask for more. It used to be a million dollars an inch, to, that was the old, you know, the, the rule of thumb, it's not that anymore, right? No, costs have gone up. Uh, but our, our budget is actually set by the city charter. It's a five-year rolling average uh, going forward every year. Um, unlike any other part of the city budget, the snow budget is sort of set aside. Um, but, you know, we had a tough winter. People don't think of it as having been a tough winter, but it started with three storms in December and didn't end till after Easter. Uh, I felt like it was never going yes, to Yes, I think all of us did. We were all here for it. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and that's, that's a lot of snow. So I think we were um, very, very busy. Though a quiet February, but a very busy December, uh, January, The warmest March. February on record. Uh, good luck. Thank uh, you. Catherine Garcia, you're doing some interesting and uh, innovative things. Thank you so much uh, for having me. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, we're coming back. When we come back, I want you to come back. Another big week in politics. Will President Trump be interviewed by special counsel Robert Mueller? No way, you say? One of the president's lawyers now says, way, maybe. ABC News political director Rick Klein joins us next. Welcome back to Up Close. Now to politics. And there are a dozen important issues to begin our discussion this morning. And I have weighed which one to begin with. But the one topic that sort of stays at the top of the list is when would we have ever thought that we'd live in a time when the President of the United States admits in a financial disclosure document that he paid his personal attorney money that, it seems very clear, was reimbursement for the $130,000 that was paid to a porn star to keep her quiet about the tryst she said she had with Donald Trump years ago? I'm putting that question this morning to Rick Klein, ABC News political director. He's in Washington. I can't get my head around this. What would happen to any other president that that was a headline one of these days, one of the days this past week, Rick? 
it would be the spiraling end of the presidency, I think, is a fair assessment. People, presidencies have, have been almost toppled from far less than that. It is a testament to just how much uh, President Trump has scrambled every single rule of politics, every rule of traditional politics. Of course, he said uh, just a few weeks ago that he didn't know anything about this payment. Then Rudy Giuliani let slip, I think actually on purpose because of this financial disclosure, uh, that, that uh, the payment was reimbursed. Uh, and even in that reimbursement form, we find out from the Office of Government Ethics that they they believe it should have been disclosed last year. Uh, they disclosed that now to the Department of Justice, which could be a referral to them for criminal investigation about why it wasn't disclosed earlier. And you're right, all of that is just barely a blip in this news environment. Which of course raises so many questions, not the least of which is, they're doing it now because they knew they had to do this that now that the, the information was out there. Because they were supposed to do it last year because it would happen in 2016. So your 2017 form reflects the prior year. That's why they did this. But would they have done this had it not all come out, had, it's had hard, Cohen's it, office not been raided. It's hard to imagine that this wouldn't have been, this would have been disclosed if it wasn't going to come out through another mechanism. I think that's probably a fair assessment. And look, there's a real good reason for this. The American people have a right to know uh, who their president owes money to, who he is on the hook to, whether that's a, a foreign government or a lawyer or any kind of private entity. Those things are good information to, to have out there to be able to assess potential conflicts of interest. This information came out, as you say, only after it was very clear it was going to come out in other, in other mechanisms. It, it's interesting to sort of, you know, sort of think about what's going to happen in the future to the next president. Have we lowered yeah. the bar or will the bar be so high that, you know, everyone's got to be squeaky clean? I talked to a presidential historian about this not too long ago, and he, and he said, look, he, the rules are different. It doesn't mean other people are going to follow those same rules. It just, yeah. it's changed the realm of the possible. It doesn't mean we're going to have another Donald Trump, but the rules that he has, has, has test-driven throughout this uh, could be ones that are test-driven in the future. Another thing that, you know, people have a hard time wrapping their heads around because it hasn't happened before, Rex Tillerson gave a commencement speech at the Virginia Military Academy this past week, and I do not remember a former Secretary of State ever trashing his former boss, like Tillerson did in that speech. Yeah, and the name Donald Trump never came up, but it was clear what he was talking about when he talked about how important the truth is to uphold. A lot of people point out that Rex Tillerson uh, was not Mr. Disclosure when he was on the inside, and maybe those words would have been more powerful coming from a current Secretary of State, but it seems clear that he knows the message that he was delivering, and he is just the latest of, of several former Trump administration officials, cabinet secretaries and uh, senior advisors and the like who've come out and said, yeah, it's basically as bad as you thought it was from the inside, uh, only now they're speaking about it from the outside. Exactly. And Mike Pompeo seemed to also be trashing Tillerson when he talked about the sinking morale of the State Department. It's all one big happy family over <laughs> in the Trump White House. They're worried about leaks. This is what's happening in, in public. Forget the leaks. Let me talk about North Korea very briefly because, you know, the, the sort of downfall of this, of this summit talk uh, would not surprise anyone. Uh, Trump, Mr. Trump, to his credit, did say, you know, he was not sure this would ever you know, make the news this summit and make it happen. But, you know, it looks now like it might not. Uh, yeah, and uh, he's got a lot riding on this. I've been struck, Bill, by the fact that the North Koreans come out and say, maybe we don't want to be part of this summit. You'd expect President Trump to start mean-tweeting at, at Kim Jong-un, who he's already called Little Rocket Man and the locked and loaded and my button is bigger than yours. Instead, he took the high road and said, look, if you want to meet, I'll be there. And he said, I'll guarantee security and I'll make your country rich. He needs this summit to happen. And it does seem for the moment that he and Kim Jong-un are, are getting each other. They're communicating through public and private means. It does seem like things are are still happening despite the fact that there are all these signs that, that, that say it could be taking a major step back. President Trump wants this to happen very badly. Okay, I want to end this on Melania Trump because it was confusing that there were so few details about what 
the procedure she had on her kidney this past week. She spent the rest of the week in, in the hospital. But it struck me as well, if I could mix the two things together, her approval ratings are through the roof for a Trump. 57% up from 47% earlier this year. She's on the rise. Yeah, and she is someone that's very conscious of the public image. I think it's a testament to her and her staff that information hasn't leaked about her medical condition. Of course, she's entitled to some privacy surrounding this, and we, we know very little about this. We didn't know about it in advance. She has just been uh, begun outlining some of the initiatives she'll pursue as first lady. We have certainly had higher-profile first ladies. Uh, I think you're right to, to, to identify, though, that her popularity stems from her knowledge of what her public image is, what her public role is. And you may not agree with that, but I think she has, she has accrued herself some degree of respect. Okay, Rick Klein, political director of ABC News. Thanks for joining us again, Rick. Thank you, Bill. See you next time. And on that note, that's going to do it for this edition of Up Close. Tiempo with Joe Torres is coming up next. If you happen to have missed any of today's program, no worries. I'm going to post these segments on my Facebook page come Monday. Thank you all for watching. I'm Bill Ritter. And for all of us here at Channel 7, enjoy the rest of your weekend.